Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. momentous occasion we are in the new bighorn studio yeah courtesy of mr robbie lens our fantastic producer here yeah applause dude major applause absolutely moving up in the world we have an actual studio to uh to record in now you know what i just thought dude it's almost like we're on wayne's world now yeah (laughs) exactly i mean you even got the bass guitar in your hand right yeah and uh i mean to to kind of describe the place like it looks like where stoner metal is recorded. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> a stoner exactly. metal jam space, practice space. So I, I understand you did go to a stoner metal show yesterday. You went to a sludge fest. I, I did, and it's exactly what you would expect. Uh, you know, fat guys, bellies hanging out of their shirts, uh, hairy, uh, broken legs here and there, yeah. and, you know, wearing casts and whatnot, and uh, dirty, <laughs> smelly, <laughs> everyone's drinking beer. The, the metal's extra sludgy. Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're looking particularly Jim Morrison-esque lately. I just wanted to let you know That's that. because I've been going on a spiritual journey. <laughs> well, you know, you're 27, man. You, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it, it could happen to join the 27 club. <laughs> Not, well, I've only got a couple more months left, so hopefully I just don't join that club. That's why I don't want to join well, we had a good interview with Walter Bosley last time, uh, talk about the Excalibur sword and Orme and all sorts of great stuff. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of weird here to be like facing you now. Like, like, <laughs> I know. I feel like, awkward, like, dude. Lounging on the couch. I feel like and... you're raping me with your eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and last week we talked about a, an anniversary that we we talked about the anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, talking about the guy who survived both both bombings. Very heavy stuff. Yeah, very heavy stuff. And uh, this one, 
Well, that was 70 years ago this month, back on August 6th and August 9th. But on August 21st is another anniversary. And that is the anniversary of something that happened not too far away from us in a place called Kelly, Kentucky, in on August 21st, 1955. So 60 years ago, this coming Friday. And, of course, we recorded this on August, uh, August 16th. And this was a... This was a incident that occurred where some little green men attacked a farmhouse in Kelly, Kentucky. And this is from a book that uh, I was telling everybody here I've had since the eighth grade called The Unexplained by Jerome Clark. It's 347 strange sightings, incredible occurrences, and puzzling physical phenomena. So, if you guys would allow me to read this, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it. Look, I, I want your input, man, about people in Kentucky. Open and, Poetry Corner. Uh, open Adam. Poetry Corner. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Early on the evening of August 21st, 1955, Billy Ray Taylor, who lived with 10 other persons, all but two of them relatives, in a farmhouse near tiny Kelly, Kentucky, stepped outside to get drinking water in a backyard well. He dashed into the house to announce that he had seen a flying saucer drop down into a gully on the far side of a surrounding field. No one took him seriously enough to investigate, but about an hour later, when they heard a dog's frightened barks and saw it shoot under the house with its tail between its legs, Taylor and Lucky Sutton looked out back at the strangest thing they had ever seen. A luminous, three-and-a-half-foot-tall being with an oversized head Big floppy pointed ears, glowing eyes, and hands with talons at their ends. The figure, either made or of or simply dressed in silvery metal, had its hands raised. If this was intended as a gesture of peace, it was not so interpreted. When it got within 20 feet of the two men, they opened it up on it with a shotgun and a 22 rifle. In response, it flipped over and scurried into the darkness along the side of the house. A few minutes later, the same or similar being showed its face in a side window, and this time J.C. Sutton, Lucky's brother, and Taylor fired on it, in J.C.'s case at almost point-blank range. Give me some country with the bass there, Luke. Until 11 p.m., when all concerned packed into a car and roared at top speed to the Hopkinsville police station, seven miles away, the witnesses repeatedly saw and shot at the creatures, which would roll over and escape, propelling themselves with their arms and hands. Their legs, skinny and inflexible, seemed to have no other function than to orient them vertically. If the creatures were in a tree or on the roof when hit, they would float, not fall to the ground. At no time did they display overt hostility. The observers had no idea how many of the creatures there were. They could be certain only that there were at least two, because once they saw that number at the same time. When they showed up at the station... The witnesses were in a state of such hysteria that Police Chief Russell Greenwell said it was evident something beyond reason, not ordinary, had frightened them. On the way back to the farm, a medically trained investigator measured the pulse rate in Taylor's neck. It was twice normal. But there was additional evidence, a state police officer's sighting made at the time of the witnesses' flight to Hopkinsville of strange meteors passing overhead with a noise like artillery fire. They were heading the opposite direction of the witnesses, in other words, north in the direction of Kelly. Though they found no direct evidence of alien visitors, Greenwell and other investigating officers found plenty of indications that shooting had been going on. Aside <laughs> from that, Greenwell told ufologist Isabel Davis, 
in and around the whole area, the house, the fields that night, there was a weird feeling. It was pretty, partly uneasiness, but not entirely. Everyone had it. There were men there that I'd call brave men. They felt it too. They also saw an odd luminous patch along a fence where one of the beings had been shot, and in the woods beyond, a green light whose source could not be determined. Later, on returning to the house, members of the household spotted the being several more times, and on one occasion, Lucky Sutton shot one through a window, doing more damage to the latter than to the former. The final sighting occurred at 4.45 a.m. Investigations by police reporters, Air Force officers, and civilian ufologists uncovered no evidence of a hoax. Even Blue Book, which, which usually had an explanation to suit, if not always comfortably, every occasion, confessed to being stumped. So was Davis, among the most hard-headed UFO investigators. Inevitably, some skeptics charged that the witnesses were drunk, which Chief Greenwell testified they were not, or speculated that they had seen escaped monkeys. Of this proposed solution, Davis wrote, <laughs> no amount of optical illusion can explain a mistake of this magnitude. <clears throat> and that is the Kelly Green Man sign. Okay. So we have any blood? Is that the odd luminous spot in the bushes? <laughs> it could be. I don't know if there's any blood. I mean, we're 60 years ago now. Oh, oh really? My, my favorite two lines from that were, um, there was absolutely no evidence of what, aggressive tendencies. Yeah. But there was plenty of evidence of gunfire. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, right, yeah. Like, that's what I was thinking. Uh, you know how rednecks love to shoot guns. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that that uh, mean that proves nothing. Well, I mean, we got Billy Ray, Taylor, and Lucky Sutton. Lucky Sutton, <laughs> we're two of the guys it, that are over there in Western Kentucky, long right? distant relative Popcorn Sutton. And I've got uh, there's a picture actually here that uh, has a picture of the one of the guys actually got his like hair apparently pulled by one of the beings supposedly <laughs> like you can see it like <laughs> he pulled my hair <laughs> he pulled my hair I shot him <laughs> so do you guys think that there's anything anything to that story I mean it, it, it seems to be one of the a lot of people think that it's that it's pretty pretty credible because of just like the amount of fear that was involved with it I, I just think that uh, in, in that day and time man like you know you didn't have uh, the same level of media that we have today so i think that people can make up hoaxes yeah. and get away with them a lot easier than you could nowadays well what would be the utility of making up a hoax like that though boredom <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think it's just boredom yeah dude i mean you know i grew Somebody up and watched too many science fiction movies right I, well wait 60 years ago well i mean there's a you know, science fiction movies back in the uh, true true the true true yeah. yeah i just had to think for a second how long ago that was okay right yeah but um, I, I got super bored out where I lived, and you know, playing pranks was just fun, dude. It was awesome, you know. Well, setting some someone's stuff on fire. But, it, but, it's, <laughs> but it's pretty dangerous, though, right? I mean, you're gonna be shooting shooting at things in, in the country. These guys yeah, said I mean, that they saw that, that that they saw stuff. What about you, Rob? What do you think? It's a tough one. <clears throat> I mean, I hear about this story all the time. You know, it's it's always featured on on every yeah. They like, just top did it, like, was it like monsters, <clears throat> myth, and legends or whatever. But it's it's so goofy that it's hard to <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's got all the best elements of any kind of like this. You got like country people. I don't know. I'll hesitate to use the word redneck, but you're pretty, but you're pretty close. And you got I mean, country people. It's not really offensive. And like and like UFO. UFO sightings and then like little green men and I was looking at it today and you know this isn't far from here guys this is like maybe 
what Topkinsville is maybe like you've been up there, yeah, so several like, times, like sixty miles away from where we are now. Yeah, it, take, it takes Hour us a drive at most. Yeah. Uh huh. Per- yeah, perfect. Right, and uh, Kelly's just a little bit outside of Hopkinsville, so I mean, it's not it's it's not all together weird to think that there could be something going on, especially with the vicinity the vicinity of uh, Fort Campbell. Yeah, um, something that sent up some red flags with me uh, is the radiation signals. Got like you know, I I don't really believe in UFOs, but that is something that yeah. is a convincing point. The radiation signals that keep on popping up on, uh, I guess NOAA. I don't know. I don't know who has well, the radiation I mean, radar, but let's define the term though, okay? Because listening to the Granley Report, we listening to Micah Hanks, who we got coming up at the end of the month, and you know. What is it that you don't I mean? You b- believe that there's UFOs. I mean, strictly by the strict uh, sense of the word, unidentified flying objects. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right. You don't know what it is. Because, yeah, because no one's explained like the red light, like the red light triad in the right. sky and stuff like exactly. that. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But now, alien craft. It's a totally know. different thing if it's alien craft. Yeah. Okay. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. Now, just by saying UFO, that's usually right. the, the, the connotation everyone sticks to it. Right. You know, everybody sticks flying saucer. Or alien craft a UFO, right. although not necessarily. It's just like if you see something in the sky, you don't know what it is. Like your experience that you had back when was that? Like last December or November? Uh, we talked about it on the show. With yeah, your brother. yeah. Like you don't know what that was. It's just people jump into an assumption that right. they, that it could be uh, it could be like a spacecraft. I'm I'm going to go with comet because like you got to think about the direction that you were looking at it and everything. Yeah. So that's what I'm leaning toward. And if, if not, um, asteroid com- – wait, it's a comet if it's in our atmosphere, right? It's an asteroid well, it's if it's in meteor, space. It's meteor, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. If we had for. a comet or an asteroid <laughs> heading toward <laughs> us, we'd just be screwed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my brain's a little fried still from Sludge Fest. So. <laughs> yeah, you got too much sludge in your brain from Sludge Fest. I do, Fest. I do. Hey, drink PBR, it'll do that to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the, the ultimate hipster drink. <laughs> well, we got some natural, uh, natural light flowing in here right now, so <laughs> – from our unspoken guest. That's right. We got somebody sitting there. We have a mystery guest. Uh, well, one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight with Marie D. Jones is mind control. And one of the things we've talked about on the show before, like if you remember with Nick Redfern and a few other people, mm-hmm. is, and, and I will admit that I'm pretty guilty about going towards this just about every time, but it really makes me think that if maybe there was some kind of experiment maybe what happened to these people and maybe what they experienced to them was real but it could have been what we would just consider a hallucination well there's so much not just evidence but proof and documentation of the government doing mind control right. experiments that right exactly it's a lot more totally plausible to go yeah, to yeah totally yeah we're gonna get it yeah we're gonna get into that big time tonight but and i'm gonna ask her about the ufo stuff but you know it, it, this is one of those things and just like I mean, you kind of hate to jump to conclusions, but you're in the vicinity of a military base. Hopkinsville isn't that far from Fort Campbell. In fact, it's on the other side of Fort Campbell from us. Right. Okay. So if there was something going on, if somebody decided just unwittingly to maybe dose these people up and maybe think that they could like shoot, they were shooting, make them think they were shooting at something that actually wasn't there. And somebody was in the bushes, the, uh, cataloging it and Could investigating be. it. 
Yeah. That's around the same yeah, time yeah. that they were experimenting with the... In the 50s. What did you find out about okay, that Ultra. chemical that chemical that they were spraying um, on, on towns and stuff? Yeah, that was... Um, are you thinking about BZ? Yeah, yeah, yeah BZ. Yeah. Uh, that was something about the Pascagoula. Pascagoula, I think is how you pronounce it, in Mississippi. Uh, that was something that was used in Vietnam. And actually, some people think it's been used in Syria now as a chemical chemical warfare engine. But apparently, it can it can cause hallucinations, and not only cause hallucinations, but it can also cause shared hallucinations. Yeah, that's crazy. So that's interesting. So maybe if somebody was was testing that on these poor, you know, people, and see what they would do. You know, of course, the danger is they would shoot each other, right? Mm. So it's always it's always a possibility. Either that, or it was really just little uh, little, little green, green men. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny we were looking at it. Uh, this is like the 60th anniversary, and they have it every year in Kelly, Kentucky. They have the Little Green Men Festival. <laughs> <laughs> just just from that one, yeah, you, yeah. See see the boredom, the level of boredom. Right. <laughs> Hey, and it's free too, and you can go and and they'll tell you about it and say, "Yeah, I saw it. We were shooting that little green man." I'll go if we can be part of the reenactment. Yeah, man, that'd be great. Dress Luke in like a green suit. Well, apparently, you know, there's like a kids, there's like a contest, and we'll look, we'll look at it here real quick. Let's see, like uh, here's here's the lineup. Okay, uh, Friday, August twenty first this year. Official opening of the 2015 Little Green Men Days Festival. 5.30 p.m. History of the Kelly Incident. Followed at 6 to 8 by G- Glennie Lanford Outdoor Gospel Sing. <laughs> Followed from 8 to 9, Gospel Open Mic. And after that, they light the flying saucer at 9. <laughs> Jesus and aliens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then there's bands that play the next day, Under Clouds and Surveillance. And at four is the children's costume contest. You guys might want to bring kids. <laughs> and that's followed by the drawing for the winner of the Tarzan's Treehouse. And they light the flying saucer again at nine o'clock. So apparently it's kind of like Burning Man at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I'm, I'm on board now. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you going out to go get drunk out there <laughs> Well, I mean, actually, actually, you'll be in the middle of the hallucinogenic drug, so you'll have your own Kelly Greenman experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, let's uh, pause here. We'll take a break, and uh, we'll be back with uh, Marie D. Jones. We're going to talk a little bit about mind control. The fourth annual Paradigm Symposium will again be bridging the gap in Minneapolis, Minnesota, this October 1st through the 4th. The Paradigm Symposiums were founded and exist to present you year after year with the very best thinkers in their fields. From ancient cosmology to ancient aliens, archaeology to esoterics, alternative history to the sciences that illuminate our understanding of who we are and why we're here. 
Randall Carlson, Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, Rita Louise, John Ward, Micah Hanks, and Barry Fitzgerald, along with several other phenomenal names in their fields, will be presenting at the Paradigm Symposium 2015, held at the Crown Plaza Hotel, Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Get your tickets now for what will be another amazing, inspiring Paradigm Symposium. For tickets, go to ParadigmSymposium.com or call 651-468-8115. Come to think, leave inspired. All right, we're back on Conspiracy Normal, guys, and we'll have a little, little interesting discussion on the Kelly Green men. Uh, much input put in. And we have on the line uh, Marie D. Jones, a first-time guest on Conspiracy Normal. And she has a book that she wrote with uh, Larry Flaxman, who may or may not join us here in a little bit, but uh, called Mind Wars. And we're going to talk about a subject that I've really, am really into on this show, which is about mind control and mind manipulation. And Marie has done a good, along with Larry, has done a good job of mapping out kind of like really succinctly in this 200-something page book about like all kind of like the different forms of mind control. So I'm real anxious to get into this. But uh, Marie, I want to bring you in and let's uh, kind of like you've never been on the show. Just kind of like introduce yourself and uh, you, you know who you are and how you kind of got into studying this subject of like mind control, mind wars, all this kind of surveillance state, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I know, never been on the show. What's up with that? Well, you're here now. So. <laughs> hey, the door yeah, swings really. both ways. <laughs> oh, gosh. I hate when people say, Can tell us who you are. I have no idea. No, I, you know, I. This is one of those existential questions. Yeah, really. It's like, okay, let's say I was born in this hospital. Um, I have, you know, I've been writing since I was a little kid. I actually started out writing fiction and screenplays. And then about 12 years ago, I just sort of decided I wanted to write a nonfiction book. And I've been doing that ever since. And I've written a number of them. I've written, um, I think this is my eighth book with Larry Flaxman. Okay. And uh, a lot of them, uh, I don't want to say that they're paranormal. A couple of them I think you could probably describe in that genre. But I like to write about cutting-edge science, metaphysics, the paranormal, consciousness. Um, you know, here's the thing. If it interests me, then I'll write about it. And it's been kind of a struggle because, like, you know, my agent, Lisa, and I, for a long time, we would say, maybe I should just be writing books about the paranormal, about ghosts, UFOs, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's only so many things you can write <laughs> about those topics. And um, I'm a writer. I'm more of a writer than a paranormal researcher. So Larry and I started branching out writing books that were a little bit more broad in, in scope. And mind control, this kind of stuff, you know, conspiracies have always interested both of us. Something we always talk about, get into a lot of discussions over. Larry's much more skeptical than I am. Okay. By the way, he works for Homeland Security, so oh, okay. I'll just put that out go. there. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so we were having this conversation, and I started um, looking around, and I'm really, really close friends with Ron Patton, who's the publisher of Paranoia Magazine, and he runs the Paranoia Con. And I, I thought, you know, there really isn't a, a, 
kind of a mainstream comprehensive book that doesn't get into just one subject. It's sort of a, something broad that people can read and get a real good introduction into these subjects. So um, our publisher was like, yeah, go ahead and write it. And, and we wanted to include surveillance because that is a form of control and manipulation and, you know, behavior modification, if you think about it. So this book sort of was born out of a lot of conversations and a lot of what do we feel like writing about next? Are you kind of like Nick Redfern where like you, you like you eat lunch and somebody eats lunch and then like in that time period you've written a book? <laughs> a Nick makes me so mad. I mean, he makes me look bad. I swear, I, I'm like, I message him, dude, we have like four books. He has got like four books coming out next week. Mm-hmm. And I would love to work with him. We, he and I, we were going to try to write something together a while ago. And it would really be fun to do. And, and he, I actually asked him to um, serve as a consultant on a project that I'm working on called Disclosure that will be out sometime next year but i just watch him and i see these new covers oh i have a book coming out next week yeah. it's like he has but you know what he has the killer work ethic and when i first wrote my big nonfiction book science p-s-i-e-n-c-e about quantum physics and the paranormal that was like my first nonfiction book that really and it went anywhere he was one of the first people that I knew I wanted to interview. And I was terrified. I thought he was going to be, you know, a jerk. And he's <laughs> like the most generous, open, yeah, what do you need? You know, talking oh, yeah. to me, the information. And I think I've consulted with him. Larry and I have consulted with him on several books since then. But he's just, he's like a phenomenon, I swear. He's one of those men in black aliens. <laughs> he's totally cool. And I finally, oh my God, I mean, I've known him for like 10 years. I finally got to meet him at the last Paradigm Symposium that I was at, which I think was 2013. Yeah. Forgot the year. And and he's just a blast. I mean, he's such a, a cool guy but he's got a brain that just it, it you know it's just amazing and he's just like this library of information yeah he, he so, really is something yeah, else he's one like, of my idols <laughs> we, we had him on not too long ago we talked about his one book about like kind of like a big compendium of conspiracies and yeah. then it's like you turn around like a month later and he's got another book and i'm like oh man i wish i could get him off of that one now you know, you know? It's, it's crazy he just nice. You know, I mean, I, I'm right now writing a lot of novels and screenplays. So yeah. I'm only putting out one nonfiction book every now and then. But otherwise, I think I would be doing that too because once you get in the groove and you kind of know what you're doing with how you research and how you, you know, get your chapters outlined, you can write them pretty quickly. Right. And that's one thing I learned about nonfiction that I really like is that I can do it quickly now. But I feel like they're just like Nick is really good because he writes a lot about specific subjects, UFOs, conspiracies, cryptozoology. And, you know, he finds all these really cool niche ideas to write about. So, uh, yeah, I totally admire his work ethic. Though. It's just amazing. And it's not like he's putting out crap. It's good stuff. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Let's talk. I want to talk about getting into the subject of mind control and kind of like a little bit about what that term means 
for people that may not be familiar with this, and it, and and also how it's kind of become well lately kind of like ingrained into our popular culture. Like everywhere, these the, you'll see these concepts everywhere on television, print media, radio, what have you. You know, it's it's like is is how has that kind of been happening in our popular culture? You know, it's really I mean, this has been such a hot subject since the fifties, and and maybe, I mean I wasn't born back then, but I think it really became popularized in pop culture after the Korean War and the Manchurian Candidate movie came out, and right. there was all the talk about our POWs being brainwashed, and it just has captured our imagination since then and i mean there are so many movies and tv shows and novels and we didn't list them all we listed a bunch of them um but you know like conspiracy theory with mel gibson and julia roberts great great show great movie about mk ultra about an mk ultra survivor who's starting to have some memory of what what happened to him and um it's just one of those things that when somebody says the word mind control, you automatically think tinfoil hat, conspiracy, spooky, yeah. oh, it's not happening. And then when you start to really show people how it is a part of our history and and it's real <laughs> and all the different forms of mind control, it, it they their eyes just get really wide. It's like, wow, you know, I, I never looked at it that way, but it is part of our media. It's a part of advertising. It's a part of the the, you know, politics and religion cults so it, it's more than just the government doing spooky stuff in a back room and really what mind control is it's the use of certain tools and techniques to control someone's thoughts behaviors uh modify their actions or their change their beliefs and sometimes to fundamentally change their personalities do you think that people take it more seriously now as a real thing, or do you think just because popular culture has just, well, for lack of a better term, has popularized it, that it's people maybe look at it as like a fictional thing and don't take it as seriously? Well, that's one of the reasons why I know I wanted to write this book. I can't speak for Larry, but I kind of think he would agree, is that you know we, we like to think that we know a lot of, that's going on because when you're in the, the paranormal, you like to think that you're out on that edge, you know, right. and you're keeping up on all this sort of cutting edge information. And so I knew about MKUltra and I knew that there were uh, experiments done in prisons and orphanages and what have you, but I never, I never really embraced the scope of mind control and surveillance and how it all, and, and how it all fits together and once we wrote the book, now it's like, I can't not see it. And it drives me crazy. I can't watch the news anymore. Sometimes I watch the news yeah. just for the sports and the weather, even though I live in an area where the weather's like the same every day. But, you know, you, you have yeah. hope. <laughs> and the sports is, well, uh, you know, the Chargers, the Padres, what are you going to do? But um, I can't watch anymore because now that I've researched and studied all the different methods of manipulation, I see them and it makes me so angry and I want to wake people up and shake them and say, don't you see this? On the, on the same um, way, I can't watch the news. Yeah. Even, I, I even commercials. Commercials oh. drive me crazy because I right. see their agenda behind all the, yeah. the cute Yeah. Oh, my God. And- Social networking. I mean, I'm a big ham on there, but 
oh, when people are passing news stories around, and it's like, first of all, this is satire. It's not news. <laughs> yes. or, you know, yeah. It's just complete BS or the, or the headline doesn't even match the story. And it's so funny because the other night I was watching TV with my mom and my son, you know, three generations of watching TV, and we were all just so shocked by how every single commercial – during that one hour program was a, was a pharmaceutical company. And then on the news, you might see one or two stories that are pro pharmaceuticals or pro the new depression drug or, you know, pro this or pro that. And so you really start to see that who's paying for the advertising is also kind of helping to spin the news that you're getting. Right. And another thing too, I mean, you'll watch television shows uh, some of the, and especially some of like the more like the true crime t- TV shows that you can tell that they are uh, to a to a particular political bent. You, you, oh, wow. you'll, you'll see you'll see different uh, like they'll talk about terrorists or domestic terrorism, oh, yeah. and it's usually stuff that's in the news. But yeah, it's also yeah. usually the, it, you can you can usually see it as almost a way to like demonize a certain group of people. Yeah. And that's called predictive programming. And some people, and I don't buy into this necessarily 100%, but some people believe that, you know, every movie, every fictional TV series, like The Walking Dead or or CSI or whatever, that it's all designed to shape and mold the viewer. Now, being a writer, I will tell you that that's not true. A lot of it is just that's what the writers are, are excited about or enjoy. Yeah. You know, I'm writing fiction. I'm writing some stuff that has to do with chem tra- a chemtrail attack. Does that necessarily mean I'm trying to shape and mold people in a certain direction? No, it's just what kind of turns me on. That, that's, but that's, but well, at the same on. time, I think there mm-hmm. is a little bit of predictive programming going on. So, And it's so hard for us to tell. What were you gonna say, Luke? Uh, that, that's what I was. I was thinking uh, a lot of show writers probably just don't have their creativity, and so they're just kind of like piggybacking off of the other popular oh, shows that are that are yeah. happening at the time. Yeah, you have to kind of separate what's an agenda between, and all, you have to separate what's an agenda from what's also in the zeitgeist at a particular given moment. Yeah, And that exactly. can be difficult to do. Yeah, and I mean, if it's out there in the news, a lot of us writers are like, oh, I thought of a cool idea with, you know, and and naturally you want to write something that's really timely and, and a part of the current culture. Um, but sometimes you do see things that really are kind of spooky and you almost feel like there's more to it I mean, I remember hearing all these stories when we were researching, like Manchurian Candidate, movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, oh, God, there's a couple of others where you would hear these rumors that you had these government agents who would come down to the set and they were talking to the director or the writers. And it's it's almost like, oh, you know, maybe there is some of that going on where the government or whoever, I mean, it, it could be corporations for all we know, they have an awful lot of power are funding movies or funding TV shows that will sort of spin what they want, you know, the, the yeah. message that they want to get out there. Yeah. And uh, it's just up to us to kind of discern that what is entertainment and what is trying to sell us a, an agenda, like you said, 
Well, I wanted to get into this a little later, but I think since you brought it up, I want to talk about it now. And that's one of the things that I found interesting about your book was that you include surveillance in with this whole overarching concept of mind control. And usually when you think of surveillance, you usually don't think of something like mind control. I mean, like you said, you usually think of something like MKUltra or Manchurian Candidate. But how is surveillance in a way, and we know it's a form of control, but how is it a form of mind control specifically? Well, I don't think it is necessarily the same as mind control, but I think you have to group the, the ability that other people have to control our thoughts, but also to control our behavior, to control our actions. And I think that this constant surveillance is one of the most insidious and powerful ways that that's being done. We're always being watched. We're always anxious. They know everything we buy. They know every, you know, thing we email and text and all of our advertising is target marketed directly at us based on something we bought last week. And so you always have this sense that you have no privacy. Right. And to me, you know, the I, I know that there are satellites way up in the sky doing surveillance for, you know, terrorists, whatever. And I know that there are drones and that's okay. But it seems like the direction that we're heading in is that Anybody can can do that. Anybody can put up a drone and peek at your, you know, while you're laying out in the sun in your backyard. And this invasion of privacy, it's not just the government trying to keep track of potential terrorism. It's corporations now. It's it's uh, private parties. It's Lord knows who. I mean, I am not a believer in the quote unquote Illuminati. But I do agree that there are very powerful people out there that they have access to this technology, too. So I think that surveillance and and when we say surveillance, we're not just talking about cameras watching you from up in the sky or on street corners, but your cell phones and your computers and every time you're online. Right. We have no privacy. And it's just most people don't seem to care. But. At some point, we're going to wake up and realize we we sold ourselves out completely so that we could have all this cool gadgetry and technology. You you just gave me a pretty good incentive to buy a drone, though. (laughs) You know what? We have drone hobbyists here because I live real close to the beach, and some of them are so cool. But these guys are respectful enough to fly them out over (laughs) a beach where you can't swim, and they don't do it people's backyards and stuff but it's getting to be a huge hobby thing now here in southern california it's a really big problem because private parties will set drones up in the sky during major wildfires so they can oh i want to take a picture for facebook of the fire that's about to put my down and we can't fly um you know, firefighting helicopters or aircraft in if oh, there's wow. a drone it's, in the sky. I, I saw that. Out, you just knock them out of the air. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That's what he did, <laughs> that's actually. That's what I said. You know, they were had on the news like a poll. <laughs> do you think that they should be able to shoot them out of the air? It's like, I'll do it for you. I mean, can you imagine some idiot, oh, I want to get a picture from my Twitter page, and you're preventing <laughs> firefighting helicopters from saving people's lives and homes. So that's a problem. Marie, why do problem. you think why do you think people don't care uh, that most people do not care about this surveillance? I mean, do they feel like it brings them a sense of security, or is it just like 
I don't think they know. They just would rather know what Brett, uh, what Caitlyn Jenner is up to lately. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's the thing. There's probably three or four reasons for that. One, and I thought I knew a lot. I didn't know all this until I, I started looking into it. So I think, one, most people don't understand that their cell phone can track their every move. Even when they turn off all their little, you know, GPS thingies, it doesn't matter. And this is something that Larry taught me, the data mining that is done uh, there's really no way to stop it. And it's not just done for the government. It's sold. Our data is sold to the highest bidder. Right. Um, I think people don't know how to stop something like that. So instead they'll put their heads in the sand and focus on who Taylor Swift is dating instead. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's just ignorance or laziness or a combination of the two. I just want to let you know that Taylor Swift has come up with this podcast way too much. <laughs> but you know what? I hate it's pretty to say hot. It's this, a good reason. But she's like the perfect distractor <laughs> for so much of the population. I mean, that just shows you the mentality of this population that I think more people can tell you who she's dating yeah. than whether or not we have drones now with the capability of seeing through walls. And the answer to that, of course, is yes. That scares me. <laughs> She's probably one of these you know? Project Monarch mind-controlled assassins anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, her and Beyonce. Mean, yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> the, the Illuminati assassins. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys believe in the, the whole Illuminati thing? Uh, I've been well, there for 30 years, and who the hell are they? <laughs> I don't believe I, – I, I think I'm just like you. I don't believe that the Illuminati is this, like, organized group. I think that it's many different groups all competing with each other. Yeah, it's like but an umbrella term. But, yeah, but I do think that it's – I do think that a lot of these groups, they kind of have their – they have their roots in, uh, like, Western esotericism. So I think they have – I think they have like a common ground to stand at, at the on, head of every way. company. There's some mysterious so, yeah. like silhouette dude sitting in his chair and like yeah, stroking right. his kitty. Man from X Files, right? But yeah. I don't. I don't believe that Lord Imhotep is the is the head of them all. Or you like in the yeah. what's that the Metalocalypse or whatever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I, every time I hear Illuminati, that's what I think of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's. Now we've had some guests. We we actually did have a guest, and this person's actually going to come back on that that claims they were they were in the Illuminati, oh, but you know, they would have a di- they would have a different perspective. But <laughs> I, you know what? Here's my thing: extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. <laughs> but that is very true. Yes, but since but we're I'm on the con- like really powerful, wealthy people, they do work in a little unit to keep yeah. the status. Yeah. And they do work in the shadows as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, since we're on that subject of the Illuminati and in how that kind of relates to mind control, you know, you talk about in the book, you guys talk about the ritual and, uh, you know, kind of like how cultic activities are involved in mind control or even uh, secret societies in a way, like the way that they um, the way they do their initia- initiations is yeah, almost a yeah. form of mind control in a way. Or at least a way to... To, to bring somebody down and then build them back up in a way. Right. And also maybe to alter their consciousness. I mean, if you think yeah. about religious rituals, I mean, they're ancient. And you think about back at Stonehenge when they're chanting and doing all their craziness there. And, it, you know, ritual is a way to alter your state of mind. 
So if you are a powerful authority figure and you're using ritual on your underlings to keep them in line, that's a very powerful thing. It's a, a great way to modify behavior. And if you bring the gods into it, like in ancient Egypt, you know, Rome, Samaria, the idea that you did certain rituals to please the gods and goddesses or to sacrifice to them. And if you didn't abide by the rules of that ritual, you were going to be, well, maybe punished, maybe maybe killed. Maybe you would be the sacrifice. So yeah. it's sort of, and then if like, you know, you go to church nowadays, I haven't been in church in a long time, but <laughs> when I was growing up as a kid, I grew up Roman Catholic and I used to really enjoy the ritual when I didn't understand that some of the stuff that was being said, you know, I enjoyed the, the beauty of the candle lighting and the chanting and everything was very structured to create a certain mindset for the people that were in, in, in mass. Um, so that is a mind control tool. It is a method by which you get a group of people to abide by the rules. And those that don't are shunned. Do you believe that, that this has as a reflection in maybe more like um, indigenous societies or ancient cultures? And like the witch doctor and kind of like the control that he has over oh, everyone absolutely. and like this whole idea of speaking yeah. to the spirit world? You know, I think even in, in shamanic tribes and in indigenous cultures, you have ritual. And some of that ritual is to honor and revere nature. Some of it is to, you know, you have the, the medicine man or woman who does the ritual to try to help a sick villager or what have you. It's just a structured, formulaic way to create a certain response or a certain behavior, Um and, and it can involve words, you know, rhetoric, speeches, chanting, music, marching. And there's so many different ways that rituals are done in this country and in other countries. And it, it's not a sinister, evil thing. It's just something I think right. our brains really respond to in terms of, especially in a cult situation where you want people to feel like they're part of a very unique family or a very unique unit. And if they go away from that, then obviously, you know, like in Scientology, you're shunned. Mm -hmm. You're not shunned, but you're prevented from being anywhere near other people who are still accepting the rituals. So, yeah. What is, yeah. what is their term for someone that's like you, like a negative person? Or oh, something like God. That? It's, it, it's in here. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's in the book, but. Yeah. They it, are terrible. Yeah, they really <laughs> are. For me now, but. Oh God! What is it, like you're shunned or something? Yeah, you're you're in the you're in like the center of it over there in Southern California. <laughs> well, I think Los Angeles more. I'm in San Diego, but yeah, LA right. is is a real hotbed. And it's funny because I I don't know if they make the national news or not, but I hear a lot about different celebrities that are trying to get out and their family members that are trying to get out. And, and then there's others like I saw an interview with John Travolta where he was so up and positive on on Scientology. And he said it saved his life. It helped his career. When his son died, it helped him get through it. So it could just be a matter of perception. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, they have this thing called auditing. Yeah. That's right. where they yeah. should recall, like, traumatic events. But I'm trying to find the term that you're talking about. 
Where well, they, the, oh, they disconnect you. Yeah. From your family and your can you imagine from your children? Ugh. They're, they're but here's the thing. The probably one of the coolest things. I don't know if it's cool, but it really blew my <laughs> mind. Was I always thought that in order to get sucked into a cult like that, you had to be weak and stupid. Truth is, some incredibly intelligent people fall prey to cults. It has nothing to do with intellect or intelligence. It has to do with empathy. And if you're a real empathic, compassionate person, you're more likely to be able to be sucked in by the persuasive techniques that they use, the, the mind manipulation that they use, because they play upon your willingness and desire to be a part of something bigger, to right. help others and be a part of the family. And if you're not understood at home, you'll be understood here. You know, all of, and then when they once they get in, they go for the kill. Well, yeah, they use some really nefarious tactics. Like, you know, their, their whole process of, like, clearing you and everything, it involves you talking to a, a higher up and, you know, basically confessing everything you're guilty about. So they have this back catalog of everything you've ever done that you don't want people to know then about. And they can turn it on you later. Which is why right. they have so many celebrities that they've basically got just their talents in that will never escape. Yeah, that's terrible. And, you know, I mean, the funny thing is, like, again, being raised Catholic, I remember when we had to go to confession. It's like, why do I have to tell this total stranger priest every sin that I did last week? You know, as I got older, I realized that was just a crime. <laughs> but it is similar. If you tell somebody, and this can happen in interpersonal relationships, too, if you think about it. If you tell someone all your secrets, they've got all the ammunition they need to destroy you with. And you handed it to them, right? The, the term is suppressive person, by the way. <laughs> oh, is that that's, it? That's the term. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they have, I mean, they, they really have got a lot of bad press lately. And they have, yeah. It, it, it's really, I mean, you know, L. Ron Hubbard was one thing, but this this guy that's kind of in charge of it now is just kind of like a complete megalomaniac. You know, and they really run their organization much like you know like the, a political organization like, yeah, so like a, it reminds me of stalinism in a way yeah and i and i know that they had some major run-ins with the irs mm -hmm. and scientology yep. won i mean yep. come on none of us can go up against the irs without either ending up disappeared or you know kicked out of our homes and yet they challenged you know, whether or not they had to pay taxes or if they were a religious institution or what, blah, blah. And they always won. So that tells you how much power and, and money, obviously, that they have, how much influence. Well, they, they used they used a lot of tactics that were just scare tactics. Um, some of these audits, they say that some of these audits that they do, is that you know they get information that they could probably use later blackmail oh, people. Oh, totally. Right. So hold up a second, you, yeah. you guys are celebrities, right? We've got every oh, we have dirt on you, you right. know, right. all your affairs and all your our sexual orientation or could be another thing. You guys yeah. are telling me yeah. you don't have to pay taxes if you're a, a Scientologist. There, they had some run-ins with the IRS where I guess they're. Uh, Nonprofit status was being called into question because they were politicizing, and the there was all kinds of stuff on the news over the years about IRS people trying to go in and and just failing to get them to do anything. And 
I mean, that's kind of scary when you can beat the IRS. Although I'd like to know how they do it. Luke, you need to start your own religion. I've already planned on it. (laughs) And you know what it would be? It'd be like a a combination of like Zelda and... (laughs) (laughs) Triforce. Spaghetti monster. What is that? Yeah, the spaghetti monster, the flying spaghetti monster religion. The the church of the sub-genius. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my favorite. Hell Bob, okay. Mine would be between Rastafarianism and Zelda, though. Like the the two of those combined. We're laughing about it, but that's basically what it it comes down to, is some guy... Because there aren't a lot of women cult leaders. I think there's been a handful. But so some guy decides that God is speaking to him and he starts, you know, going out there and gathering his followers. And before you know it, he's got a cult of a few hundred people living out on a huge piece of land and they're making their own rules. And he's being abusive to them, but they're all sort of trapped there because like Guyana with Jim Jones, if you try to leave, you die. And yep. It just amazes me because a lot of these cults start out on a very religious, uh, you know, religious nature. Somebody claiming to be godly. You know, let me ask you a question, um, Marie. Uh, this is one that uh, I watched a documentary not too long ago called Serious. And I read your book not too long after I watched that documentary. Uh, not to digress too much, but Stephen Greer and his, what is it, C-SETI? organization and we'll kind of kind of get into the ufo stuff a little later here but you know he goes out there and claims you know that's all nuts about spacecraft right but yet he gets out there and does this transcendental meditation with his whole little group yeah and they supposedly can contact yeah they (laughs) should supposedly contact these space brothers or whatever you know and, and they'll come down or they'll show up and do little little displays of the sky. What do you think about like the, that organization? Do you think that it's almost cult like in a way? Absolutely. And wasn't he? Was he the one that said at, on 2012 he was going to jump off a big rock or a cliff? Or oh no, something? that was some other guy that was going to okay. do that. Right. He was going to. He was. And then the portal was going to open. Yeah. <laughs> because, so that was yeah. Whatever happened with that? Did he back out? I think he backed I'm, out. He oh. kind of realized he made a mistake. The, the aliens weren't ready to come pick him up. So <laughs> yeah. mm, okay. But you know, um, a, a friend of mine went to the they think the Sea Steady Ranch. Yeah. And he said it was really fun. You know, they saw lights in the sky. They could have been meteor. I mean, there was like a meteor shower or something, and no UFOs landed. And it was like it was like a, a commune. Now, to me, commune is sort of a precursor <laughs> to a possible cult. But right, yeah, I absolutely think. And I'm, and cults don't necessarily have to be dangerous and violent and bad. I mean, sometimes they're groups of people who all share a desired, you know. Sometimes outcome. they're just bronies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people that just all believe something, even it might be a little strange, and maybe they're they're the only ones. And, um, but I've never been out there. I have no desire to go because my feeling is I was in MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, for yeah. over 15 years. You know what? Every single UFO case we investigated, we had to investigate after the fact, okay? Never during that time were we, and I think uh, the San Diego group, we had about 40 members. The L.A. group, we had over 100. None of us were ever able to go somewhere and see them happen. 
You know, it, it just didn't work that way. Now, there are other places like Pine Bluff in, in upstate New York where people claim there's so much activity that if you went out on any given night, you'd probably see something. But to me, when you're having people go out to a ranch and, you know, you're, you're just insisting and guaranteeing that they're going to see things, I don't know. Because yeah. where's the proof? I mean, I, I know people that go out there and I don't have anybody coming running back going, oh, my God, oh, my God, Maria, oh, my God, I saw an alien. You know, well, it, seems it, not- it seems like Greer himself has this cult of personality. And I, I got that very much from watching that watching that serious <laughs> documentary. <laughs> you know, he's big on disclosure. Too. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it's like I I heard something that like he had a, he did a presentation and he locked everybody in so they couldn't oh, leave during his presentation. <laughs> and then he has the he has armed bodyguards. So it's very much. I mean, he's almost like L. Ron Hubbard himself at this point. You know, that's, that's like exactly what happened with Hubbard. David Koresh kind of thing when you yeah. Have- what the heck? Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, just the paranormal, and I mean, oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's let's talk. I want to talk about MK Ultra. This is the really juicy stuff, and this is the, the stuff that stuff. I'm. Yeah, this is the stuff that I'm really into. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, what was MK Ultra, and then you know, kind of like what the programs that you think that like might still be actually around from it that might still actually be going on today. Well, you know, to to sum it up in in, uh, the Reader's Digest condensed version, if you're old enough to remember those, and and I am. (laughs) Yeah, I remember Um, those. Yeah, you know, again, during the Korean War, a lot of our POWs were being brainwashed. And so the motive to create what was then to become MKUltra was actually to study brainwashing techniques so that we knew what was happening to our POWs so that we could help them, but also, obviously, for defensive purposes so that we could brainwash people. Because, you know, we just have to learn how to do that to other people, too. We can't just use it for offensive purposes. But that was basically um, the reason why all of this got started. And it began in the 50s and... The CIA eventually took over and ran it through about 1973-ish. So for a couple of decades, you had a CIA-backed and funded operation that also extended into Canada that involved, oh, over 80, 85 institutions, and that's everything from colleges, universities, research labs, orphanages, homes for unwed mothers, prisons, mental institutions, anywhere that you could experiment or do research on subjects, you know, human subjects. And a lot of the human subjects were children, unfortunately. Basically so, anyone who was weak and powerless. I mean, that's basically yeah, what well, you just described. The idea that this was really, all of this was about understanding the brain and the mind and how to control it how to change people's thoughts, how to change people's personalities, how to get people to do things that you wanted them to do. It just really ballooned into this massive monster of a program where you had everything from um, sensory deprivation experimentation, hypnosis, drugs, uh, hallucinogenics, torture, physical abuse, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, 
all of which was being done to try to bring about changes in behaviors, thoughts, beliefs, and in some cases, literally to annihilate the original personality of the subject and program in a desired personality. And they were called alters. And sometimes a victim, or I like to say victims because I think that they were, um, sometimes a victim would have several alter personalities programmed in. One might be an assassin. One might be a spy. One might be adept at different languages. One might be a, a you know master thief. And one of the personalities would be the one that forgets what all the other ones are doing. And there's a lot of claims from MKUltra victims later that um, some of the programming involved would trigger them to commit suicide after they did whatever it was that they were programmed to do. And that was usually in the case of assassins. Right. So all this heavy-duty stuff. And so, you know, later there were a couple of congressional committee hearings that quote-unquote shut down MKUltra. And during those hearings, most of the documentation was destroyed thanks to Richard Helms, who was then the uh, CIA director. But some of it lived on. (laughs) And through Freedom of Information Act, you know, we got a good 20,000 pages at least of documentation showing some of the bizarre experimentation that was being done and the extent that they were going through to, uh, and, and it, you know, how these different names like Project Chatter or Artichoke or Bluebird, Monarch, yeah. yeah. And each one, maybe, you know, one might focus on torture or one might focus on psychological manipulation, one might focus on physical, you know, deprivation and physical abuse and. So just to read through some of the documents was kind of creepy. But, I mean, it just – we listed some of the scope of the studies, and there was so much of it. And I had asked our public publisher if we could list it all. It would have taken, like, ten pages. Wow. So, yeah. um, but, you know, people can find the documentation online and take a look. And, you know, interestingly, where do you think we learned a lot of this stuff from? From the Nazis. Yeah, I was about to ask that you the role of the Nazis in all this. You know, Operation Paperclip, after World War II, we bought over the best of the best, paid their way, put them up in mansions, treated them like kings. And, you know, the idea being we wanted to learn their technology, we wanted to learn their science, their psychological techniques, and some of those included brainwashing and torture and mind control. So that this is just such a black mark on American history that I would say probably still the vast majority of our population thinks is not real right. like oh no that's just in the movies or you know i saw that movie with denzel you know the remake of manchurian candidate yeah. it's not real it's hard but to it conceive is- even when the movie the first movie manchurian candidate came out there was so much and that movie actually i don't think it was even shown for a good long time yeah it, that was one of the it was ones so hard I- for people to believe it yeah and i heard that frank sinatra and some of the other people involved with making the films were being visited by um, you know, shadowy people who were sort of guiding. And the funny thing is, is that you wonder why. Well, why would anybody want us to know that that happened? I, I, I want to ask about you, Dr. Ewan Cameron. This is one that you guys, that you go over a lot in the book. And uh, this is some interesting stuff. And I've actually watched a documentary about about Cameron, or about, well, he was part of the documentary, actually. And this was actually a documentary that I saw 
that someone had posted on YouTube that was from like 1979. Yeah. And it actually had like some of the original commercials from 1979. You talk about mind control. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this was interesting stuff. I mean, Cameron, uh, you know, they had some good intentions, but some of the stuff they did was, was pretty heinous to people. Yeah, and you, but you bring up a really good point that especially when you're dealing with this kind of research, it's so easy to cross that line from between you know, the, the actual desire to do research that could be a benefit to torturing and abusing and literally destroying the minds of human beings. Now, yeah. when we were doing the research, you know, I, I was asking people that I know that were experts in MK Ultra and had done a lot of work studying it. Well, you know, who, what are the names? What are the names I need to be looking at? And, and uh, Cameron's name just kept coming. He's the worst. He's the worst. He's like, yeah. you know, other than Sidney Gottlieb, the, the Nazi, he's the worst. And he was Canadian. And right. really, MKUltra was supposed to only be an American research program. But, you know, you pull a few strings. And, and if you're a guy like Donald, you and Cameron, you can, you can do some research across the border. But he was basically a Scottish psychiatrist that was involved in one of the most uh what's the word pervasive and and, uh, insidious forms of it's called psychic driving okay just those two words i mean it just gives me the creeps you know his whole thing was to try to use drug induct you know using drugs or insulin induced comas or putting people into into uh, deprivation tanks. He would put young women into coffins. And the whole idea was to try to drive them psychically to change, to just literally change their belief system, you know, their entire behaviors and their thoughts. And he was a master at it. And, and he was one of the very few, and maybe really one of the only uh, MK Ultra researchers that got busted big time because a lot of his victims were able to later come out and speak out against him. Canada paid out, I think it was a pretty measly amount. It was under a million. They paid out some money um, in a settlement in 1988 to some of these victims because of what they had been put through. So he, his goal was to study his own form of brainwashing called psychic driving. And yet, once he was given that sort of carte blanche, he just took it way too far. He was destroying lives. A lot of the people that he experimented on were young women, and I'm talking teenagers. I believe that he actually was able to regress one of the women, and I'm not talking hypnotically, like actually mentally regress this young woman to the level of a three-year-old, to where yeah. she was almost like a completely clean slate. Yeah. I mean, so that's... You, what, that's that's frightening. Yeah, he, it was uh, his his sort of research lab was called the sleep room. And, you know, saying that in one of the worst ways possible. But, yeah, again, his whole thing was to wipe out the slate of your personality so that you other personalities could be programmed in. And, again, whatever the motives were, you need a super spy, you got one. You need a super soldier, let's program that in. We need somebody assassinated, we'll program in the assassin, and we'll program in the ultra personality that's going to forget what the yeah. assassin did or 
commit suicide when they get a trigger phrase or a trigger image so that they can never speak about what happened. Well, here's a twofold question for you, Marie. Do you think that these guys believed that what they were doing was for an ultimate good? And the second question would be, if they did they actually succeed in creating these Manchurian candidates? Because it's one thing to have the intention to do it, and you you mentally mess someone up, and then it's the second thing to actually have someone that you can actually put in the field and kill someone and then not remember actually doing it. Do you think that, that they actually succeeded in what they were doing? Yeah, I do. I'll answer your first question first, though. You know... I like to think the best of human beings. I know that there are evil people out there, but I think probably these, and this includes the Nazis that came over from uh, Operation Paperclip, they believed in what they were doing. Does that make it right? No, obviously not, but they believed, just like Hitler believed in what he was doing, right? Right. I mean, they believed that this research was going to be beneficial to our military and the government and any soldier that got captured. And, and if we need to assassinate, you know, the president of Venezuela, we, we know how to do it now and get away with it. Or we need to stage a military coup. You know, we send these people in. They have no idea what they did afterwards. So probably, yeah, probably for most of them, it was an opportunity to do some really cutting-edge, out-of-the-box research that they maybe weren't allowed to do before. I think a lot of rules got lifted as to experimenting on humans, um, you know, just for this program. So, and then your second question, yeah, I think they probably succeeded quite a bit. Maybe not as much as some of the people that claim to have been victims say, but if you look at assassinations around the world and... You look at uh, a lot of the shootings that go on, where there are a lot of a lot of uh, strange links and connections, and you know, just something doesn't feel right about it. Yeah. The the, the biggest one being Sirhan Sirhan, who from right. he was taken into custody, acted like he was clueless as to what he did, and yeah. he was put under psychological. You know, I mean, he was questioned over and over and he was assessed over and over and to this day his current lawyer still says he does not remember what he did and I saw some of the doodles and things that he made in prison it's creepy stuff now maybe he's just crazy right maybe James Holmes you know the Aurora shooter is just crazy yeah but I look at him and I think that is somebody who is his being controlled from somewhere else. That guy is scary. Were you an um, absolute? Uh, the, uh, the guy that you, y'all were just talking about that was, uh, that reverted the teenage girl back to the, uh, mentality of a three year old. Who was that guy again? You and Cameron. Yeah. Like, you and Cameron? Uh, so, I mean, it, you know, he kind of loses a, a bit of credibility because teenagers are still like looking for their, their selves, you know, like they still don't really have like a solid sense of identity. That's so, why they're so malleable. They're yeah. like clay. They're so, cause adults, we kind of have a, you know, yeah, that's, that's a harder to pick on. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, that's what I was getting at too. I was like, well, I mean, it seems like your average person can do those kind of experiments. I mean, you know, it, it would be like tr- a true Marvel to actually do it to a, a an adult. 
you know, versus a teenager. Well, so there may have been there may have been ten subjects, and yeah, maybe only of all one, ages they could have yeah. actually yeah. turned into something that they could actually use. Right. Um, you know, Sir Han, Sir Han. Generally, some people think that he didn't even even shoot anybody. That it was just he was just standing there in a daze. And what's yeah. interesting, Marie, about Sirhan Sirhan is the psychologist that uh, he spoke to in prison was the same one that Mark David Chapman later in, he, inter- who so interviewed strange. him. Yeah, creepy things like it's like, come on, is that what a coincidence? Do you, I don't what, do you, know. what do you think about Mark David Chapman? Do you think uh, that's the guy who assassinated John Lennon? Do you yeah. think that you know the, the whole thing with the catcher in the rye and sta- right. standing there in a daze, and as soon as after he shot Lennon, he drops the gun and just starts pick. He picks up catcher in the rye and just starts leafing through it. You know, do you think that there could be something there? Absolutely. Look, what if you want somebody? If you're the powers that be, whatever you want to call them, the top 1%, the Illuminati, the government, they, if you want somebody out of the picture that you feel is dangerous, and John Lennon was dangerous. He was a revolutionary, okay? He was the 60s radical. Right. What better way to do that than with some goof? I mean, you're not going to have some government official go and shoot him. Or a cop, although, you know, nowadays I wonder, but you're not, you know, you're going to send in somebody who is a, is a nobody. And that person is a patsy, just like, uh, what's his face? Uh, Kennedy's. Yeah, Oswald. Yeah. Oswald. You're going to send in a, an absolute nobody. And the best way to do that is to, we know that hypnosis, especially when coupled with other techniques like hypnosis and torture or hypnosis and deprivation, you can literally wipe out somebody's personality. You can create multiple personalities. So if they have that ability, absolutely, I think they would use it. I think, you know, maybe some of the assassinations that we thought were just some lone rogue nut with a gun certainly could have been planned out. Now, look at some of the other weird connections. Whitey Bulger who Johnny Depp is playing in this movie, Black Mass, you know, Irish mobster, one of the most dangerous men that ever lived. He was an MK Ultra subject. Yeah, in fact, yeah. he was in prison and got a shorter prison sentence, um, allowing himself to be experimented on with a right, drug. Right, because he volunteered. Yeah. yeah, he volunteered. Yep. Ted Kaczynski, when he was a teenager at yep. Harvard, he did a study at Harvard where he was a part of a psychological manipulation experiment. And look what he ended up doing. So The Unabomber, yep. Yeah. I think it's absolutely possible, and I don't think it's tinfoil hat theory. But here's where I draw the line. I know some people in the conspiracy field who every time something happens in the news, oh, it's MK Ultra. Yeah, yeah. You know, every time there's a shooting at, at a school or something, I do believe there are some crazy idiots out there with guns, but... Some of them, like you said, when you have those weird connections to somebody else who's got spookiness attached to them, that's where I start to say there might be more to the story here. Well, you know, I'm suspicious of James Holmes. He's one of them. The fact that he supposedly did what he did and then he's just sitting there in a daze in his car. Uh, The fact that he was in some kind of neuroscience program. Oh, yeah, he uh, was like... 
that's an interesting one. And yeah. then Adam Lanza, I'm suspicious of that as well. I yeah, don't even. His father I, had some weird connections. Yeah, I don't even think that he candle. had. You know, having As- Aspergers was he was he susceptible to maybe a more form of mind control to where they possibly they yeah. took him over there and they they killed him and left him there for people to find him. And then there's that kid, and this is like kind of where you're located. The one that went that was Elliot Roger that went on that rampage. You yeah. know, there's also the same thing. The whole Aspergers thing that that meme is in there again. So well, and a lot of times they kill themselves, which yep. is one of the things that we hear about over and over again in the MKUltra program is being programmed to commit suicide, so that you cannot. Now James Holmes may have been a rogue. Um, so that you cannot live long enough to ever possibly remember anything or come to, you know, it's like if somebody knocks you out and you start to come to and you remember, oh, yeah, this guy with brown hair and blue eyes knocked me out with a bottle. <laughs> they don't want anybody to talk. So program them somehow to kill themselves. They go shoot up a whole bunch of people first to create that scenario that you need for whatever your motivation is. And then you get them to take care of, you know, them not squealing or ever being put under the psychological uh, magnifying glass where somebody might say, hey, wait a minute, you know, this person is, is has been brainwashed. I want to talk about something that may also be a form of mind control. And this is something that I've been, we actually were talking about this at the beginning of the show. And this is something that, I have found utterly fascinating, and to get to bring Nick Redfern up again, a lot of this is due to some of the stuff that he wrote, and Adam Go Rightly has written, and this is the 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 idea that some of these alien abduction experiences, some of these um, alien contact experiences, that this could be, especially the Betty of Barney Hill uh, incident, that right. these could be right. manipulated mind control experiments. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly makes you question. I would say, you know, there are thousands of UFO sightings and there's physical trace cases. I think that there are real nuts and bolts UFO sightings that have occurred, but maybe some of these waves or some of these more intense um, UFO cases, especially maybe involving abduction scenarios, could have been programmed or fabricated as a part of this MKUltra. And certainly we know MKUltra was running through the 60s and into the 70s. Yeah. So some of these cases like uh, Exeter, the uh, which was uh, John J. Fuller, actually had some links to MKUltra. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill. Now we can't prove that something didn't happen to them. Obviously something did. But the question is, was it something real? Or was it a, something that was a, a very elaborate fabrication? And my question would always be, well, what was the motive of that? Was it to put UFOs and alien abductions on the minds of Americans? Was it to scare people? Or was it just to test it out and see if maybe at some point in history later, they could fabricate an entire UFO invasion and put us all under martial law and into detention centers. There's a great movie idea, you know. Well, it, it could be it could be as simply as just seeing. Let's see how we can manipulate maybe the human religious experience. Let's see how we can manipulate those ideas and get those yeah. ideas out there. 
And and also at the same time, if we're running this top secret aircraft, then people are going to think that's UFOs because all exactly. this stuff is in the literature. It's all in the zeitgeist. What right. I find interesting about Betty and Barty Hill was, first of all, they were a they were a mixed couple, and second of all, they were also activists, uh, civil rights activists. So they may have just yeah. been targeted already for this kind of treatment. Yeah, it's certainly possible. And look, this stuff was going on in the 60s, okay? So if in the 1960s there is this allegation that you could get somebody, you could even get mass hallucinations, you could fabricate an event that more than one or two people could see or experience. Imagine now, how many years later, what techniques they've mastered along with, you know, technology, are we are we literally seeing what we're seeing? You know, is this is our reality more of an illusion than we think? I mean, it really does make you wonder if they were able to do that back then. You know, what might be happening? Right. That exactly. we see on the news and take as reality that is a fabrication or a mass illusion. Are we all under some kind of mass hypnosis where we're all accepting that 9-11 happened and, and, you know, then we went to war with our brack and then, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just really scary to think about what they can do now if this was true. Well, they definitely spun, you know, the Bush administration, they spun the whole 9-11 thing. Oh, hell yeah. We needed to go to war with Iraq and they were going to find a reason, you know, it's false flag. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. They they would always say things like, we don't know if Iraq is involved, but, (laughs) but nobody heard that part. And it was, it was all, it was all very psychological. The whole thing was just a huge psyop. You kill a bunch of people. You, you do it in the most traumatizing way. You attack a city that is so symbolic to the people of the United States. Yeah. You disrupt our financial system. You literally shut us down emotionally and psychologically. And then you say, blame those, you know, camel jockeys or whatever. Let's go get them. (laughs) It was Saddam Hussein. You know, let's go get them. Let's go get Iraq. It's like, well, wait a minute. We don't have any proof. They weren't, were they Egyptian? And and weren't they Saudi Arabian too? Where does Iraq fit? You know, people (laughs) like me were, were like, wait a minute, this is smell right but there's a cognitive dissonance absolutely w did say w did say well he did try to kill my dad at one time (laughs) (laughs) he tried to kill my dad and they were best friends for a while too and there's pictures don roseville shaking saddam's hand cognitive dissonance i mean earlier Mm -hmm. you know you guys asked well how how does the public buy into all this i think that's probably one of the biggest answers is that we we don't even know what reality is anymore. It, we've been so manipulated, even those of us like us, right, that yeah. think we know <laughs> because we think, oh, well, we're more well-read and we do our research. Hey, we're uh, the illuminated ones. We're the illuminated. Yeah, we, we are the Illuminati guys. You guys <laughs> may be, not me. <laughs> <laughs> we may be just as clueless, and that's what makes it very tough. And if you want to go down that rabbit hole, it's a deep one. And I think, you know, for me, I've, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky, positive, silly person. Um, and I have to be very careful when I'm doing this research and I'm learning all this that I don't go down to, so deep that I lose my humanity. 
because then what good am I? Then they got me, you know, if I, and I think that that's a choice that each of us has to make as an individual. Are we going right. to let them bring us down, you know, because they're trying. And, and one of the ways that they're doing it, and this is, I mean, this was some really scary stuff to me is this idea of electronic harassment or making just yeah. people believe that they are going crazy. And what's funny is, is that the technology exists to where people, they can make people think that they're actually hearing voices. Yeah. And it's existed for decades. And here's another one of those things where you tell people, they're like, oh, yeah, tinfoil hat. You're so full of crap. Yeah. It's like, here, let me show you. Let me show you the patents. You know, here's the documentation. This stuff has been around. It's actually not that hard to do. Um, yeah, that you can send, you can transmit pulses, tones, clicks, even words and phrases directly into a particular person's brain mm-hmm. or a Voice group of people. Yeah. I mean, I was so blown away by that. I thought that was the stuff of video games and sci-fi movies and and then, you know, talking to targeted individuals. And some of them, it's really hard because you have to discern. Some of these people sound like maybe they're misinterpreting what's going on. But some of them genuinely seem to have... Uh, this type of harassment happening and they, and they know why, you know, maybe they're, uh, they worked for a large pharmaceutical company and they quit or they're a whistleblower or they have family in the military, whatever. There's people that do know why they're being harassed. There's also an awful lot of people that don't. And, and some of the TIs brought up to me something I thought was really, really interesting. The fact that maybe the reason why they don't know is because they're just guinea pigs. You know, the, the, this technology is being tested, and obviously it's a lot more advanced now than it was in 1973 when it was really being perfected. So maybe people that are TIs, maybe the electronic harassment is just happening to people at random. And TIs just, means targeted individuals, Targeted right? individuals, yep. yeah. Just the way that we, you know, experiment on lab animals. It's just random. You're guinea pigs. They're going to try it out in the street. They're going to try it in this neighborhood. They're going to try it on, you know, to this house and see if they can make it work. So, you know, you have people say, well, I don't believe some of these TIs because they they don't have a reason for this to be happening to them. They're making it up. And no, that's not necessarily true. What's also not necessarily true is that it's the government doing it because it could also easily be private corporations that have it in for these people. Yeah, it can also be, you know, your your maverick, techie, geek neighbor who's yeah. stalking you or harassing you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are corporations that have. And, and the funny thing is, is now when we talk about corporations, really, they are at the same level of power and influence and manipulation on the public as the government. They're right up there. I'm sorry. It's almost indecipherable. Yeah, it is. So if you have someone wor- who works at a, a a company, a large corporation, and maybe they had access to some pretty top secret technology or they found out, you know, there was some money laundering going on and they left, you know, they get harassed, they get frightened into silence. TIs are not murdered or, or assassinated or killed, but this is almost worse because one of the best things you can do is make people think the person is crazy. 
Because even though they may be telling you the truth, you're not going to believe them because they're talking about all this weird harassment and, oh, I'm hearing voices in my head and, and I'm being gang-stalked by groups of people and I can hear my name being called out and they try to break into my house, but they don't steal anything. And, you know, I, I drive down the street and these cars turn their headlights on me and it sounds like a crazy person. And yet that individual may have a real reason they may be telling the truth, but they're going to be labeled as crazy. I mean, that's perfect. It's it's genius in a way because what yeah. what you're essentially doing there is you are giving everyone that shadow of a doubt of whether this person is crazy or whether this is actually happening. To where think, yeah. there's no there's almost no distinction between the two. And we were talking about this these shootings that are going on. Well, like we said, some of them could be mind control assassins. Some of them could be false flags. And then there's also some that are copycat or just, they just happen. The the true genius there is, is that when both become so indistinguishable from each other, you just can't tell anymore. Exactly. Perfect. You know, because really you, you can't discern a copycat, the motive of the copycat from the motive of the original. Right. And so, yeah, uh, people don't realize that this, and I don't, I don't necessarily believe everybody who comes to me and says I'm a targeted individual. I've had some emails from some really strange individuals. And let me tell you something. This parallels the UFO field with abductions so much um, where people are are called crazy and they're made to feel crazy and then they don't want to speak out about what happened to them because nobody will believe them. Same type of techniques are being used here. I want to ask you a question. And this is in the around the subject of mind control. We had not too long ago an individual on the show. I'm not going to say who it was, but had made some pretty outlandish claims about being on another planet and being a soldier on another planet. And you'll hear this from time to time. You'll hear people like uh, what's his name, Andrew Basiago, who said he was yeah. a time traveler and he was on Mars. Uh, Al Bielik, uh, the what's right, it? I can't remember the other guys. They have the Philadelphia Experiment, the Montauk yeah. stuff. You know, I've often wondered whether these guys are just playing crazy, or whether they actually just be- they believe what they if they believe what they are saying, and that but that they have could have been part of a mind control experiment themselves. There was a guy in the nineties named Phil Snyder who claimed that he fought these. Uh, aliens in this underground base somewhere in New Mexico. Well, I've always thought about that story, and I always thought, what if that actually did happen to him as he perceived it? But it could yeah. have been some kind of experiment where maybe they, where maybe he, they were these these guys were sprayed with some kind of hallucinogen, and they right, were said right. they were told one of the teams is the aliens, one of the teams was the was the soldiers, and they just went around and just killed each other. Kind of like the movie know, Jacob's Ladder. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, my God. I love that movie. Perfect example. So I got to wonder if these were going on and these people are just out there now. And they're spreading this this information, but but they are mind control experiments themselves. Okay, so let me ask you a question. When you first hear one of these stories, what is your initial knee-jerk reaction? My initial knee-jerk reaction is pretty much disbelief. There you go. Because Same it's so outlandish yeah. and it's so much like what you see on on television or on the sci-fi on the sci-fi channel. Exactly. 
that's the same for but, me. My initial reaction is that person's full of crap. But <clears throat> what I've learned, I think you, you know, will agree with me. We've learned enough now to after we have that knee jerk reaction to stop and step back and say, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe yeah. that's the reaction they want to get out of people. But and, you hear the sincerity like this guy yeah. he had on. You hear the sincerity in his voice. You hear that that he actually believes what he's saying, so that means that 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 either this actually happened to him or this has been put into his mind. Yeah, so whatever I mean, means that is, exactly. whether it's the psychosis or someone else did it to him. So either he's full of crap and and it never happened. He's making it up. It happened exactly the way he said it did, yeah. or something happened and he was caused to interpret it a certain way. I mean, there's like these different scenarios. The problem is we're never going to know the truth without, like I said before, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Right. How do these, how, these people never provide us with proof. It's their word against whoever's. Yeah. And the claims that they're making are, like you said, they're so outlandish that it's just human nature to react by thinking that they're crazy. And the shameful thing is, is that unlike you and me, unlike us talking on this show where we might then step back and say, you know, I know enough to know that things aren't always as they seem on the surface. There's the vast majority of people don't ever get that far. They have the knee jerk reaction and then they're done with it. That guy's crazy. That woman is, you know, that didn't right. happen. She made it up. Or it's and, just used as entertainment in, yeah. in a way. Uh, it, you know, people are people are maybe entertained by the story, or they get a good chuckle at it. It's like I'm looking at it. I, I like to look at it a little bit deeper from what I already know from what we've discussed. That right. these guys could have been victims themselves. They could have, and again, they could have actually had exactly what they said happen happen, and it had been programmed to. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. And it's hard because who the hell am I to say that that did not happen? <laughs> right. And yet at the same time, some of us have to step forward and say, we need to really look closely at these claims and we can't just buy into them, but we can't just discard them or brush them under the rug. Do and you- that's usually what, what the majority of people will do. They'll either or. You know, people will either believe something full on, like December 21st, 2012, the world was going to (laughs) end, or they'll, you know, completely brush something under the rug that maybe has truth, some truth to it. So, do you feel thank God there are people that are in the middle? (laughs) Right, exactly. Do you feel yourself that your attitudes towards this has changed? Or do do, do you feel that maybe that? through studying some of this stuff that you might become a little bit more heightened aware to it, almost to the point of, of an almost like paranoia about it. I'm not paranoid. Um, I mean, nobody's come after me. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a real fearful person, but I'm way, way more aware now and, and right. kind of pissed off about it. I mean, I think once you become aware of it, especially the media and, and the manipulation that we you know, that is called news. And whenever I see it now, I just cringe, you know, and I I get really angry. And it's like, well, what can I do? Well, all right, I wrote this book. And if I talk about it, more people will maybe become aware of it. And I've I've actually talked to people that didn't read the book 
and brought it up to them. I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Watch the news tonight. Tell me how many commercials you see from, you know, pharmaceuticals. And they'll come back to me. Oh, my God. And then I noticed it happened on the, and oh my God, the whole day I watched TV and there were thousands, you know what I mean? They'll start to become aware. And again, once you, once you see some of it, you can't never not see it. And so I'm real hyper aware, but I'm not paranoid. Like, I don't think anybody's watching me. I didn't write anything in this book that wasn't already out there somewhere. Well, Um, all I really want to know is what Taylor Swift is wearing these days. (laughs) I, okay, so here's what I heard. <laughs> she is the head of the Illuminati. Oh, and that's it. From, that's it. Yeah, she's from Zeta Reticuli. Yeah. <laughs> Poor girl. She's just doing what she loves. <laughs> Luke's shaking that, his head. He's a Taylor Swift fan. He's I am. The, he's got yeah. the shirt on right now. She's adorable. But you know what, though? I mean, it, I'm pretty it sure so Taylor's not in Winter Sun. <laughs> easier for us to focus on what other people's lives are like and what other people are doing yeah. than to have to face some of this stuff. Because when you face this, you have a little bit of a responsibility then to either take action or stick your head in the sand. And I think that makes people feel guilty. Well, Marie, we we had Thomas Fusco on the show not too long ago, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. But we were talking about the state of the paranormal, how things are are going now in the world of paranormal drama. And your name came up. <laughs> Probably not in a good way. No, it came up in a good way. As in, as, as in you were kind of, you were kind of pulling away from, pulling away from all that. What's kind of like, you know, your idea of what's going on right now? Are we, are we seeing this, 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 this fad just kind of wane? Are we going to see more so. of these kind of shows? Are, are, are people losing oh, God, interest listen, in this? And ghost hunts can people go on before they figure out that they're not going to catch one you know? <laughs> it, it's just look I understand it's fun and it makes people feel yeah. important but it it hasn't advanced the field maybe an inch in just you know mainstream exposure so that you get more people out there thinking about it but right. it, it, you know I hate to say this but I got so bored with the, the the stasis. I mean, it just wasn't moving. And I got so bored with a lot of people in the field not wanting to break out of that narrow little tunnel that they were operating in. Yeah. That it's just like, screw this. You know, I'm going to write what I write and I'm going to look at these different ideas and I can't prove them, but I'm going to put them out there and... And it's, it's just really frustrating. It's what? How many... Okay, so how many years have these shows been on and how many years have people been doing the same kind of paranormal investigations over and over and over and over probably thousands of them every weekend and we still are clueless yeah yeah so that's the state and how many of the- <laughs> people are actually still entertained by those i know i i see people that just love those shows and they treat the guys on them or, or people on them like yeah. they're like they're celebrities. It's like, right. wait a minute, you know? Okay, so this is entertainment. At least we're understanding that this is entertainment. But after a while, how many times can you go to the same dang place over and over again <laughs> and run out of the same rooms and it just... I'm getting touched. Gets, I'm getting touched. Yeah, <laughs> There's a like, cold spot. You know, it's coming. And we know, 
I mean, I worked in television for a while when I lived in L.A. It's all produced. It's all. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a disappointment. And I think for a lot of us that want to push it forward, you know, we're we're just like, well, we give up on on the, the general paranormal, paranormal public. So we're just going to do what we do. That's why I'm glad that there's people out there that like yourself, Nick Redfern, and you know, like the the guys who organize the Paradise Symposium, is that it's we're not talking about ghosts. We're going to talk about different things and how they may inter interact with it. Absolutely, yeah. And to me, if you're not talking about science at the same time you're talking about ghosts, you are twenty, thirty years behind. You yeah. know, get a clue. Things have advanced <laughs> a little. Right. Uh, I, I saw something the other day. It was a lady running around with her EMF meter thing. And it's like, oh, for God's sakes. Yeah. You're not supposed to be holding it. You're not supposed to be moving it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or have your cell phone next to it. Uh, it's <laughs> Marie, uh, we're about out of time. But uh, tell people where they can get the book and your other writings or people can and people can contact you. Um, well, uh, my website is mariedjones.com, and I can be emailed through the website. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. The books are on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and they should be in most brick-and-mortar bookstores, too, if you have one in your neighborhood anymore. Yeah. Ours, it was close to here, got flooded out about five years ago. Oh, so man. Yeah. I don't even know where we have one around here. And I, I'm guilty of buying books on Amazon, too. And I feel so bad. Right, exactly. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Um, we're going to close out this segment. But, yeah, thank uh, you, guys. Stay on the line for mm -hmm. us and we chit-chat just a little bit more. Absolutely, and, uh, thanks. Do you guys have anything you want to add before we go? No. Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts, okay. <laughs> Toaster strudels. <laughs> Oh. Luke's mind is on pop tarts. It's no, like more, more pop tart right in front of you right now. <laughs> more, more toaster strudels than pop tarts. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we're close out this segment, guys. We'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. We're rolling. We're rolling. Are we live? We're live. Sort of. I, I just had a, a lapse there because I feel like I'm being mind controlled. All of a sudden, yeah, I think we are being mind controlled. You know, like Ross mind control of this, not those those like alpha or beta theta waves. Yeah, into the, you, where, the dude, where's your device, man? Where's your device? <laughs> it's got to be somewhere on the wall. The, uh, the binaural beats are taking over my brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's probably just workaholics. I've watched like three seasons now, and, like smoke weed the whole time. So. <laughs> <laughs> man, you're 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 susceptible susceptible to being a mind controlled. I'm a prime right candidate, now. right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to get uh, you guys' insights on that. Like, what do you think about that about that interview? And you had some stuff. You wanted to kind I of add it was stellar. In. Stellar. It took my breath away. Uh, you were thinking about pop tarts the entire time. No, no, I, 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 I like strudels. Actually, I really don't like fair. pop tarts. I love toaster strudels. So. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you guys haven't Free tried advertising for toaster, toaster if you strudel. guys haven't tried the strawberry and cream cheese, then yeah, new sponsor. Hillsberry mm. <laughs> <laughs> toaster strudels. I don't know how the jingle goes, but it's good enough. All right. <laughs> I don't think they have a jingle. Anyway. We're yeah, spirit normal degenerates. Well, you're talking about the uh, you're talking about the uh, helmet. Yeah, the uh, that's, control, that's, the some, that's something I wanted to mention. We just ran out of time, I guess. But uh, 
There's uh, well, somebody was pointing at their arm like it was a watch. Tell me to hurry who, up. who did that. So our, I, was, our, <laughs> I was trying to get I was trying to get as much in as possible. That was our mystery guest, right? Yeah, <laughs> mystery person. <laughs> Are you talking about Michael Persinger's helmet? That uh, uh, maybe yeah. I didn't see his name. I mean, I kind of just skimmed over this article, but uh, I, I saw a documentary on PBS. I talked about it on another show like way yeah. back, but when, another mind control show, but. uh they they did a controlled experiment with these people and they gave them a test beforehand and it had some questions to do with morality and they were to choose like multiple choice you know what would you do if your girlfriend walked across this bridge and it seemed unsafe you know would you let her walk across it another one of the experiments it said here was uh, uh, a a girl purposely and like uh, secretly poisoning her friend by adding something to her coffee, like slowly poisoning uh-huh. her. And those were the scenarios given in like the, the controlled test group. And, um, so right away, you know, everybody's like, no, that's terrible. I would never do something like that. You know, every one of them, of course, circled like the right thing to do. And then right. they hit them in the, the temporal lobe, you know, back behind the ear back there with the, with the EMF frequency. Once they put the helmet on these people, and they they did it a couple different methods. Like they did like the sh- they did short short uh, burst waves, like millisecond waves, and then they did like one long interval mm-hmm. wave that lasted for twenty five minutes. I think it said. Okay, who did this? Where was this? Uh, this this was a study. And how long ago? The research team led by Dr. Rebecca Sachs of the Massachusetts Institute of Te- Technology. MIT. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, I don't remember how many people were in the te- in the test the control group, but uh, they they hit them with those frequencies, like I was saying, and it actually did change their their morality yeah. instantly. Uh, the, these people who who initially chose you know the right thing to do, all of a sudden chose th- that it was okay, like turn turn their head, turn a, uh, a shoulder to it. You know what I mean? Right. The poisoning and to let yeah. let this person walk across an unsafe bridge. Just by some kind of a, uh, electrical magnetic stimulation to yeah. the temporal lobe. Yeah. There's there another one. I don't remember any details about it. And I feel bad bringing it up without any kind of. Um, but it was uh, it was sort of the same thing, like an EKG, sort of like a, a hookup or whatever. And they would they would trigger something, and it it basically made made the person feel like they were in a room with almost like an abduction sort of scenario. Yeah, that's Michael Persinger. That's the Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's him. Uh, they they but they, it was like this helmet that they put on uh to their head and it would put in this electromagnetic frequency and they would see um these grayish kind of figures and sense presences around right. them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it it almost had the same effect as like an alien abduction mm. or like an alien abduction experience. Whoa! Like an altered state of consciousness. I don't know anything about that yeah. one. That was a yeah. That's a that. I mean, that, I think that happened in like the nineties. I mean that that that, and of course he explained it as being that it was just the EMF causes that. But I've always looked at that, and I think I've said this before. I've always looked at that as being like, well, maybe EMF is just another way to make an altered state of consciousness to where you actually are communicating with something real. It's just in another dimension or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Whatever yeah, that's that's yeah. my belief on the whole so spin anyway. Kind of thing. Or? Right. Uh, and, and then which uh, the drugs can do too. And then this this doesn't mm-hmm. have much to do with mind control, but I, I heard um, that story. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but a, it's a Russian test, like in the forties. 
with these people inside of a chamber to keep them up with gas for 30 days and as an experiment. Have you heard anything about that? No, no it's like a, horrible. Deprivation experiment? Yeah, there's a, there's a story going around, and I, I snoped it. Well, actually, let me tell you more about it first. Like this, the story says that there's you gotta uh, always snoop it, man, because it might be coming <laughs> from hustlers.com. Yeah, so. I mean, it, it's it's crazy how um, you know the word spreads from person to person. It, it starts off as fiction and then it becomes reality as it's right. like the more it's being propagated. Right. But like uh, what, what I'm talking about though in the story, it's uh, it's in the 40s and and Russians. Uh, uh, offer these POWs their freedom if they comply and stay inside this chamber for 30 days. Uh, they were given this like stimulant gas, but a, a low dosage that didn't kill them. And they were, they had to stay up, you know, the entire time and they were uh, guaranteed their freedom if they complied. And, um, some, some really crazy things started happening. They started like eating their own flesh and like, the, you know, it, it, the, the people came in and tried to like pull everybody out of the chamber and, and they said that they had superhuman strength and they were throwing the guards off, the Russian guards off and stuff like that. And, and, uh, I believed it there for a minute. I had That's to, crazy. yeah, I had to snope it. And, uh, it, it's just a short sto- story that was written on uh, creepy pasta. <laughs> so, it was, so it was just fake. Yes. Yeah, it's just entirely fake. Okay. So yeah, sleep deprivation is scary though. I mean, they say that you go after forty hours, your brain chemistry is like permanently altered yeah. or whatever. There, there was, uh, there wow. was. This is a, this is a real story. There was a. This was in one of my psychology textbooks in college. But there was this DJ that he was doing this event. I think this was in the, either the fifties or the sixties, and like it was a gimmick that he was doing where he was going to stay up for like five days or like pretty much a solid week to do like this fundraiser or this drive. And he said that after 72 hours that of being awake, he began to hallucinate. He began to see like spiders on the wall. He began to see just all kinds of just weird stuff. And like his reality almost got warped. Eventually he was able to go to sleep and get some rest after it was all said and done. But apparently his personality was never the same afterwards. It's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, whoa, it, yeah. it, it messes with your the way your brain works at forever. Right. Like you're never the same again. That's nuts. And it's still not explained. Like, oh, exactly, we sleep, but maybe that could be part of it. Is that maybe if we don't, we can go into those kind of altered states like that, where we'll begin to access these other realms, and we it could really it could mess us up. That's in, that's insane to think yeah. about. That's a whole different. Like our brain. Just physically, mentally, cannot handle yeah that kind of that and, kind and of you pressure. know uh, when I used to party hard and all that kind of stuff like how yeah. you know I lived out in the middle of nowhere so like everything was pitch black you know and you you had to have your lights on bright all the time to to see where you're going see where the roads going and stuff right, right. You know, I had stayed up like partying uh, all night or something like that and then drove home after so you know it's obviously like sleep deprivation going on there. And I saw I saw this big like huge black dog like almost the size of a bear like run across Whoa. the street, yeah, and I was I was freaking out. But yeah, you know that's what it is. So it causes it causes you to hallucinate, man. Especially, well, I mean, well, it's like, <laughs> that sounds like the black dog experience because people see those kind of things. Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I was saying. That's, yeah, that's a the black dog thing. Yeah, yeah. It's you never told me that story. That's well, because it's, I didn't think it was anything worth anything bringing up because. I mean, you didn't I, trust your senses. I just attributed that to sleep deprivation. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I know that people hallucinate. So, I mean, you know. Wow. 
You were bringing up the prison experiment. Yeah, and that's kind of a famous one too. Yeah, and I, sh- I should look mystery it up and guess. another one to get. <laughs> yeah, thank our mystery guest. Our mystery, mystery guest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I don't remember who conducted it or what it was about, but I mean I remember what it was about. I remember who conducted it, but it was um, a bunch of college students. It was a psychology class, and yeah. they divided the students into prisoners and prison guards. And it only took a matter of days for it to break down into like just absolute horror where the prison guards were totally abusing their power and the prisoners were just, you know, beaten beyond recognition and submissive. And they, they tried the, one of them tried an uprising and it almost like culminated in basically a, a war between these two different groups where people were starting to get hurt and it got really terrifying where the college had to come in and shut down and they came in way later than they should have. And it's kind of a, a dark spot on, on whatever yeah. organization that was that that they worked for, but there was a similar experiment around the same time, and I'm trying to remember how exactly to describe this. I probably would have to look it up some other time, but they people were uh, they were told that okay, you had someone in another room, you have two people in two different rooms. One person supposedly was being shocked on this. Uh, yeah, on this I heard shock, about this one. Was yeah. being shocked, and the other person was doing the shocking. Yeah, and the person getting shocked didn't know but, who but was. The, the person, actually, you know what it was. The person that getting shocked was actually not getting shocked. They were an actor. Okay, and the other person that said that they were that they were shocked were told that they were told something like there'd be no consequences. There'd be no consequences of shocking that person. <laughs> they were told first that. They were told first about just to, to shock them, but then they were told there were no consequences. And, and they had a they had a yeah. um, voltage knob too, where they right. could turn it up. It was fake. Yeah, and the it other was person was in there just would just scream. They would know when to, when to scream at the right time. But it was actually just like when, if there were no consequences, they had no problem torturing somebody else. That's which is also interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And these are things that actually, I mean, these are documented things. These I would hit the button a few times, but you I, would, probably would. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit them in like a lethal level. I would just give them, I will just give them a nice and proper little shock. You'd be, know? you'd be laughing. And yeah. Yeah. I would, <laughs> but, but not, you know, nothing severe though. All right. Well, Luke's got to get his toaster strudel on and go watch straight out of Compton. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to call it a night. <laughs> straight out of Compton. Uh, next, next time, a couple weeks, we've got, uh, Micah Hanks coming back on. Real excited about that. We should have plenty and plenty to talk about with him. Micah's always a real blast to have on. And uh, then the next month, uh, got some great guests like Doc Marquis back. Is he the guy that, not not Doc Marquis, but uh, Micah, does he yell at us the whole time? Uh, well, we, only when he does his Alex Jones impression. Uh, oh, oh that, okay, never mind. <laughs> That's Micah. So... But uh, call it a night, guys. And uh, Rob, thank you for your hospitality and bringing us in here to this cool new Thank studio. you for the booze. Yeah, yeah. the booze. He's exactly. just the man, dude. <laughs> he is the man. <laughs> it's a producer's job, you know. Yeah. You got to make it roll. Make we're, it we're, not, we're not sitting there all like right next tight to each other at the computer <laughs> right. with the bed. Just a little less cozy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, let's call it a night. We'll be back ne- next time on Consider Normal. Pop tarts.
your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.